You are listening to audio from Redeemer Church in Odessa, Texas. You can connect with us online by visiting RedeemerChurchOdessa.org. Good morning. Uh, my name is Tana Marks. Uh, my family and I, Triton and Remy, we serve here at Re- Redeemer. This morning we're reading Romans chapter 5, verse 6 through 11. For while we were still weak, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person who would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since therefore we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more, now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the Lord of our God will stand forever. Thank you, Tana. Hey, good morning. It's good to be with you. Uh, My name is Tanner House. I'm the, the lead pastor here at at Redeemer Odessa. If you're a guest, thank you so much for being here. If you would, take a Connect card um, that's under your chair, fill it out, get it back to me. I'd love an opportunity to connect with you to see how we can serve you and see how we can get you plugged into the life of the body. Um, And if you're on your phone or your tablet, we use the ESV. Um, And if you need a Bible, you can raise your hand. Chad will bring you one. Um, We have some in the back, and those are for you to keep. Um, so I've told y'all on a few occasions that I, that I love history, minored in history in college, um, and that was an accident. I just used all my electives for history classes, and they were like, hey, congratulations, you, you got a minor in history. And so anyways, I just love history, reading books about historical events, love watching documentaries about historical events, and every year I try to read one book about, one biography about an American president. And so what's been consistent throughout American history is that while our culture shifts and while our value systems shift as a country, we have always had this political system in place where we get to vote and where we get to elect our leaders. And as I read these books about about these presidents, during their campaigning, all of these presidents make these promises to try to convince you as the voter that they are the best choice to make America great or to make America great again. But, and this is not a political statement at all, but it rarely goes the way these men have said it was going to go. For example, in 1916, President Woodrow Wilson vowed to remain neutral uh, in regards to the war in Europe. And within 12 months, we, the United States, we were engaged in World War I. In 1928, President Hoover pledged to end poverty, and he said in his campaigning, I will put a chicken in every pot and a car in every garage in America. And he followed up that promise by the worst economic depression this country has ever seen. My grandparents grew up in uh, the... Franklin Roosevelt administration, and he promised financial responsibility and to decrease government spending by 25% and keep us out of World War II. By 1941, all of those promises were broken. 
1990, the elder Bush promised no new taxes, but compromised in an attempt to reduce the federal deficit. And as goes pretty much every president that's ever existed. And it's not just politicians, right? Uh, Politicians aren't the only ones that fail to keep their promises. We've all experienced somebody breaking a promise with us, somebody hurting us on a personal level. If you've been in any type of relationship at all, you've most likely been lied to, you've most likely been let down, you've most likely been mistreated, and we have all done that to somebody else as well. Matt reminded us last week that Scripture teaches us that there is no one that is good. No, not one. There is no one that is righteous. No one chooses to follow God apart from a work of Jesus to them in our hearts. And yet, we have in Scripture the first advent. That means the coming of Jesus. Jesus Christ, as God, came and was born in flesh and lived among us, knowing full well that we are all unworthy sinners, knowing full well that in our sin we would disobey and rebel against him a holy and just God. And he endured the cross and rose, thus making salvation and eternal life possible. Our sin, our treasonous rebellion against God required a payment. We were called to be holy. We were called to be perfect. And we weren't. And we aren't. And because of that, the wrath of God is against us before Christ intervenes for us. We deserve death and hell. And what we got was Jesus. And what we got was Jesus and his righteousness by grace through faith. When Christ physically steps into time and space, God confirmed for the world that he is a God that keeps his promises. The promises he made to Adam and Eve in Genesis 3 that he was going to undo all the brokenness, that he was going to undo the consequences of sin... So we have this baby born in Bethlehem, whom the angels say is Christ the Lord. This baby is God's anointed, the chosen one of God, the Messiah, the Savior of the world, and he is God himself. God himself is here. And therefore, we have a choice. We can believe in the sacrifice of Jesus to us. We can believe that Jesus is enough for us that Jesus is enough for us to give us eternal life. We can rest in his grace. We can believe by faith given to us by God. Or we can reject that offer. There is no in-between. So today my goal, we're going to continue our Advent series. My goal today is to tell you what faith is. Not only to tell you what faith is, but certainly to tell you what faith is. I want to tell you what it means, but also what it means for you if you claim to be a believer. Specifically, I want us to engage in a discussion about what faith produces in the life of a believer, as well as what the consequences are for rejecting the offer of faith and belief in Jesus. And listen, before we jump in, I want to tell you, we've been, we've been talking about the themes of Advent, peace, hope, love, joy, and today, faith. Um, before we jump in, I want to tell you that apart from faith in the work of Jesus to you on the cross— the hope that, we talk, that we've talked about in the previous weeks, it's just not possible. Apart from Christ, there is no hope. And the peace that we talked about in the previous weeks, 
is not available to you in any capacity apart from the work of Christ. Apart from Christ, you have no peace. And the joy that God offers you is not possible apart from faith. Apart from Christ, there is no everlasting joy. So as we're walking through our text this morning, consider your life. Is your faith in God? Or are you placing your faith in something outside of the will of God for your life? So let's pray and dive in. Lord Jesus, we need you. Lord, you call us to holiness. You call us to faith. You call us to to dependency. Lord, I just pray that by the mercies of your Holy Spirit this morning that you would show us what it looks like to be humble, repentant sinners in pursuit of a holy and righteous and just God. Lord, I pray that you would impress on the hearts of men and women this morning the need for your grace, the need for your truth, the need for dependency, Lord, the need for your love and the need for your sacrifice to us. Lord, I pray that you would remove all distractions. Lord, the busyness of our lives, I pray that you would cause those thoughts to cease in this moment, Lord. Lord, just show us our great need for you. Church, if you're willing, and ask that you'd pray for yourself. That the Lord would reveal areas of unbelief in your heart and that the Lord would bring encouragement where encouragement is needed and conviction where conviction is needed. Lord, we love you. We ask these things in your name. Amen. All right, so before we dive into this text this morning, um, I just think it'd be helpful to get a good working biblical definition of what faith is. So Hebrews 11.1 1 says, Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for and the conviction of things not seen. So in a real general sense, faith is being able to mentally assent to something that's true. That I'm going to able to say, I'm going to be able to say that this is true, even though I may not have an immediate conception of whatever it is that I'm suggesting is true. Faith demands that we rest upon evidence that when grounded on legitimate evidence leads us to absolute assurance. Like, I'm able to look at this and say, that's true. I don't understand it, but I can see why that's, that's true. So in terms of saving faith, Christian faith, we can define it as this. We have faith that God can and will and is pleased to save sinners. Dr. Karn says it like this. Faith is the work of the Holy Spirit. Faith is God's gift to the elect, enabling them to believe as true that which God has revealed in his word and to accept, to receive, and to rest upon Christ alone for justification, for sanctification, and for eternal life. And faith is never alone. It is always accompanied by repentance and produces good works, as it says in James 2. So when we talk about faith this morning, we're going to talk about faith in the terms of God's work to save sinners. And so Paul begins Romans 5 by saying, Therefore, 
My pastor growing up used to give us this helpful statement in, uh, for Bible study. He'd say, when you're reading your Bibles, and Christians, you should be reading your Bibles. When you're reading your Bibles, he said, anytime you see the word therefore, you should always look back and see what it's there for. hey Um So up to this point in Paul's letter to the churches in Rome, Paul has been outlining this theological treatise of, of the gospel. Specifically, what is known as the doctrine of justification. Justification is a legal term, meaning how a sinner can be in right standing before God. This justification from God is given to us and makes it like we have never sinned at all in this life. The shorter catechism of the Westminster Confession of Faith, if Devante was here, he'd go, hey. Um, The Westminster Confession of Faith defines it as this. Justification is an act of God's free grace, wherein he, being God, pardons all of our sins and accepts us as righteous in his sight. But this isn't based on anything we have done or can do, but simply because Jesus is righteous and has given us his righteousness, what is known as Christ's imputed righteousness, and we receive this by faith alone in Christ alone. Paul says in Romans 3.23, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. For all have sinned. All, meaning truly all, meaning truly everyone, every single person who has ever lived has sinned, has missed the mark, has rebelled against God and His holiness. We have all missed the mark. We have all missed the standard that God has set for us, and by a long ways, like we weren't even close. And therefore, we don't measure up to the standard that God has set. All have missed it, and all fall short. And not only that, not only do we fail to live up to the standard, our sin is more than just making bad choices and making little mistakes. Our sin, as rebellion against God, leads to brokenness, leads to broken fellowship with God and broken fellowship with other believers and broken fellowship with other people. leads to feelings of guilt. It leads to shame. It leads to feelings of condemnation. Our sin just accuses us. Our sin functions as chains that weigh us down. Man, consider this for a second. Especially if you're walking in some kind of like secret sin. What would it feel like for you to be found out? Think about that. What would it feel like for you to be found out, for all of us to know? Man, that's what sin does to you. It leads us to function out of fear. It leads us to function out of shame. It leads us to function out of fear of guilt. Sin lies to you. Sin leads you to hide. Sin tells us that if they only knew, if they only knew, then you wouldn't be fully loved. You wouldn't be fully accepted. And yet what the Bible teaches us is that Jesus knows us. 
Jesus sees us in our sin, and Jesus says, I love you. I love you enough to die for you, to show you that by the grace given to you, you are fully loved in Christ. You can be fully accepted in Christ. Sin accuses you, and the cross pardons you. All sin, all have sinned, but there's good news for us. Sin, getting exposed, like you getting found out, is grace on your life. It means that God has given you a way out to return to him by faith and repentance. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, but praise the Lord, it does not stop there. Paul continues in verse 24 of chapter 3. He says, And are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation, that word means substitute, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness, because in his divine forbearance he has passed over former sins. It was to show his righteousness at the present time, so that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Christ. The one who has faith in Jesus. So Paul says, by faith in what Christ did, we can now be justified. We can now be made right. So faith in Jesus produces our legal standing before God, the judge, as not guilty and not blameless. I'm sorry, and now blameless. That was a heresy. My bad. Uh, Let me... Faith in Jesus produces our legal standing before God the judge as not guilty, now made righteous, now made blameless. All of our guilt, all of our sin, all of our shame, all of our rebellion was transferred to Jesus on the cross. And all of Jesus' righteousness, all of his goodness, all of his perfection was then transferred back to us as if we had never sinned in the first place. Somebody say amen. Faith in God by the work of Jesus means we are now forgiven and accepted. So that leads us to what comes after the therefore. Verse, chapter 5, verse 1 of Romans says, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. So follow this line of thinking real quick. Justification as the act of being declared right before God comes by faith. You are justified by faith. Having faith in Jesus and who Jesus is and what he has done means that if you are in Christ, you have been declared righteous. And faith and righteousness, faith produces righteousness, and the righteousness that comes as a benefit of faith produces peace with God. So our justification produces peace with God. We have previously talked about in this Advent season about peace from God, and that is a wonderful benefit of being a Christian. But peace with God and peace from God, or the peace of God, are, are, are two different things. Peace from God or godly peace or the peace of God means like you have a calm and satisfied heart as you get to rest in the blessings and the benefits that come from a relationship with God. Through Jesus, by his Holy Spirit. Man, but peace with God is something completely different. Listen to this. Consider this. When you sin, 
you are not only actively rebelling against God, but you are also claiming the right to do so. Tim Keller says it like this, In our sin, we are claiming kingship over our lives and over our world. And yet, God has claimed kingship over our lives and over our world as well. So this is going to lead to conflict, right? When you have two rival kings making claims on the same territory, it leads to war. So in our sin, before salvation, we are at war with God. And therefore, by the very contrast of the definition of peace, we have no peace with God because we're at war with him. We set ourselves up against God. We're rebelling against God. We are in opposition to God because in our sin, at our core, we don't want God. And we don't want his lordship over our lives. And what Paul says is that because of the work of Jesus to live a perfect, sinless life, the life that you were called to, the life that you were expected to live, but couldn't and wouldn't, because of the work of Jesus to die the death that we deserved, we now have peace with God. If you are in Christ, you are no longer at war with God. But rather, you have peace with God. And with this peace, given by faith and given by justification, we can now joyfully submit to the king of our lives, who is the rightful king of our lives. And so Paul continues in this line of thinking. Verse 2, he says, Through him we have obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand, and we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope, and hope does not put us to shame, because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Through Jesus, we now, by faith, as Paul says, have access into this grace. What this means is that by the unmerited favor the favor that we don't deserve, not only are we at peace with God, not only have all hostilities ceased, but now we have access to God. And that access to God is by grace, through faith given to us to believe in Jesus, and that leads us to rejoice because of the hope that we have in God. And because of that, we have everything we need for endurance. There's this like really unhelpful movement in, in our culture today that says if you are a believer in Jesus, you will not experience pain and you will not experience hard and you will not experience suffering. But the New Testament is filled with passages that don't spare believers from pain, but rather they promise that God is with us. Because Paul says... The Holy Spirit has been given to us. God dwells inside of us, and so now we have everything we need to endure. Because suffering as a believer actually is meant to be a gift to you. Because in suffering, we are reminded that the Lord of the universe advocates for us and that he is also with us. Listen, man, faith is... Faith is such a wonderful blessing. 
It is how we are saved for all eternity. But life is hard. Man, life is so hard. And there can be so much pain. So it'd be real easy for me to stand up here and just like tell you to persevere. Hey, persevere. But I don't want to trivialize your pain. I don't want to trivialize your struggle. But I do want to tell you that by faith, we have the opportunity to develop a relationship with God, especially in the midst of trial and in the midst of struggle. Through the blood of Christ, we have access to God. The Greek word means that we have been introduced to God by the blood of Christ. So think about this for a second. Most of us just don't know kings and queens and famous people, right? Like, I don't have any famous people's numbers in my phone. Um, in order for us, normal Odessa-type people like myself, to meet famous people and become acquaintances with them, much less friends with them, somebody has to introduce me to them, right? Like, I got to know somebody that knows somebody. There was, a, there was this man that, that passed away this week on Monday, um, from a heart attack, and he was famous in the college football world. Um, his name is Mike Leach. He coached Texas Tech when, when I was there, and I was actually on staff for one season with the football team, and so I knew Mike Leach, and by knew him, I mean he yelled at me once, and I used to do the coach's laundry once a week after practice as part of my job. Without me, Tech doesn't win eight games that season. Um, but if you were to ask him like two or three weeks ago, hey, you know Tanner House? Uh, he would fundamentally, absolutely say, who? No, I don't know that guy. Um, what's a Tanner House? What neighborhood is that in? Anyways, um, my position in the football facility didn't grant me access to like the top ranks of tech football. I needed to be introduced to him formally and, and like I just wasn't. What the cross has provided us is a formal introduction to the king of the world. It has provided us recognition in that kingdom. It has provided us a hearing with and the ability to approach God. And because of that, we now have an opportunity to grow in that relationship. Because of Christ, we are able to step into the throne room of God and hang out in there. Like, we get to remain there. If you are a Christian because of the Holy Spirit dwelling inside of you, then you are always in the throne room of God. And therefore, because of our status as believers, we have a God who is our warrior king, who fights our battles. The line goes from suffering to hope because we have a God who keeps his promises. And yet, so many times, we just try to fix our own junk, run to a better job or a better spouse or a better car or more money or whatever Instead of just resting in God to provide, we rob ourselves of the blessing of allowing God to work in our lives, and therefore we rob ourselves of the opportunity to be blessed by God, and therefore we rob God of the opportunity to get the glory in our lives that is ultimately due Him anyways. 
Listen to me. Your sonship, your adoption in Jesus is not lessened by the pain you experience in this life as a believer. Rather, if you really understand your position in Christ, these benefits of your justification by faith in Christ are increased in suffering because you have a God who wants you and you have a God who knows you and you have a God who sees you and you have a God who is pleased with you and you have a God who is constantly at work in you for your good and for his glory and his will for your life. And he is working to make you more like him. Look, faith is in place simply to just remind us of who we are in Christ. And who are we in Christ? Let's look at the text. Verse 6, it says, For while we were still weak, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Man, at the right time, Christ stepped into our space and died for ungodly people like you and I. Dr. Mount said that the fall of humankind did not put an end to God's plans once and for all, but rather necessitated an eternally significant detour through the cross and through the empty tomb. God's plan, then, is that we should reflect his glory, and that's now being realized in the lives of obedient believers. Listen, church, Jesus was always plan A. Before creation, Jesus was the plan. And we celebrate Christmas because God has kept his promise to come and fix our deepest problems, and those problems are sin and death. Christ died for us. Not when we had done enough. Christ died for us not when we were good enough. Christ died for us not when we were worthy enough. Christ died for us not when we had cleaned ourselves up enough or were struggle-free enough, but he died for us while we were still sinners. Christ died for his enemies. The text says that while we were still weak, Christ died for us. And that means several things for us. Apart from Christ, we are weak. We can't accomplish salvation on our own. We were weak, though Christ is strong. He came and defeated our ultimate enemy of sin and death on our behalf. And now, because of the righteousness of Jesus given to us, everything that belonged to Jesus is now ours. We not only have peace with God, Hostilities have ceased, and that is good. But we have the love of God that makes us sons and daughters. If you're in Jesus, you have been adopted into a family. Justification by faith changes absolutely everything for you. Tim Keller lists these things. Justification by faith means we don't have to boast in ourselves because our righteousness is not found in ourselves. And therefore, it leads us to give glory to God and have a hopeful humility about ourselves. Justification means we don't have to fear God. We know we're sinful, and we can know our sins are covered, 
and they're not counted against us. And so faith leads us to find joy and security in God. Justification by faith gives us an identity. We have been adopted by love into God's family through Christ. And now we have a purpose and an understanding of who we are in Christ. Justification by faith leads to assurance. We know that we serve a God who has kept his promises. And by his grace, he will continue to do so. Justification by faith leads to hope when hope is gone. The person who believes in God as his or her Lord and Savior can say, I still have God's promises to me. And that's enough. God has made us right. And Paul finishes this passage by saying in verse 9, Since therefore we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. For if while we were enemies we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more now that we are reconciled shall we be saved by his life. More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ through whom we now have received reconciliation. And the demands of God's just wrath against sin have been satisfied through Christ's death in our place. And therefore, because of this, as believers, you are no longer standing condemned before a just and holy God. God's love is upon you, not his wrath. Christians, we have been saved from his wrath. We have been saved from hell and death. While we were still enemies, Jesus died in our place. God has made friends out of enemies. And that is the wonderfully good news of the gospel. That Christ came into this world to reconcile sinners back to God. And he did so in love. And with that knowledge in mind, we have one of two choices. The first is, You can accept God's free gift of eternal life by faith in God. Christ was born, and that is why we celebrate Christmas. And Christ was born to die. And his death is total, and his death is complete, and his death is sufficient to save you. In Christ, you have been freed from your past. When you come to faith in Christ, your sins of the past are forgiven, and you have peace with God. And you are free to enjoy the benefits of your salvation now. You are free to enjoy a personal relationship with God now. And you have access by the blood of Christ to this God now. And one day, you will experience freedom from pain and suffering in his presence for all eternity. Man, do you believe this? Do you believe this? Do you believe that God loves you? Do you know that he loves you even in spite of everything you have ever done? In spite of everything you've ever done, he loves you. Because he already knows it all. He sees it all. He knows all. Even the stuff you're thinking about. And he still loves you. And he's offering you forgiveness freely by faith and belief in him. Faith in Christ leads to repentance. It leads to turning from our sin, asking God to forgive us by his grace and his mercy through Jesus. Listen, man, God is not displeased with you. 
And when you approach him in humble submission, acknowledging your need of him, he forgives. So response one is repentance by faith. Response two is rejection. And there's no in-between. Response one is repentance. Response two is rejection. You can continue to live for yourself. You can continue to live in your sin. And you can continue to reject God's offer for faith and dependency. There is no in-between. But God is offering you freedom in faith by him, in faith, through the cross of Christ, where God himself bled and died for your forgiveness. Man, I implore you by the mercy of God. Confess your neediness. Confess your sinfulness to him and receive his love, receive his adoption as a son or a daughter of God this morning. Man, we have faith in God because God has kept his promises. By the cross and by the resurrection, we can be assured that we are loved and accepted and pardoned. And by faith in God, who has accomplished our salvation, we can now worship him in faith for what he has done for us. And so will you submit your life to Christ this morning? Repent and believe by faith in the great God who came and dwelt among us. Let's pray.